0: Flirting with disaster, how fitting for today at Talladega Super Speedway. Hello everybody and welcome into episode 5 of Jake's Take. I am Jake Heller, pleased to be joining you once again. Thank you as always for all of your support in tuning in. Happy Race Day and most importantly, Happy Father's Day to all the dads and especially my dad. I'm very, very lucky folks to have two amazing parents. My mom has taught me so much about care and compassion. My dad has taught me so much about Honesty and standing up for yourself and having respect for our soldiers and all our military. And what a crazy, crazy sense of humor he has. So hopefully one day I could get him on this podcast. That would be one epic episode for sure. <laughs> Unfiltered at its finest. <laughs> so we've got a lot to talk about today. Obviously, today's race at Talladega Super Speedway. Recap of last weekend's race at Homestead Miami Speedway, the 2021 NASCAR Hall of Fame class, and an update on this year's All-Star race. So let's kick it off, folks. The 2021 NASCAR Hall of Fame class was announced this past Tuesday on NBCSN, and the three inductees going in this coming January in Charlotte, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Mike Stefanik, and Red Farmer. What a very diverse class. And I don't think it really should come as a surprise to anyone that Dale Hart Jr. is going in on the first ballot. I know that he has many of his detractors that are saying like he wasn't worthy of the first ballot. Whatever. I don't care. Look at it this way, folks. The man won 26 cup races. Two Daytona 500s, 2004 and 2014. Four straight wins at Talladega Super Speedway from October 2001 to April 2003. First rookie to win the Winston All-Star race. Two-time NASCAR Busch Series champion, 1998 and 1999. Five championships as a car owner in the Xfinity Series. Two with Martin Turex Jr., one with Chase Elliott, one with William Byron, and also one with Tyler Reddick. And that's the other thing, too. Look at all the careers that he has helped launch over the years. Martin Turex Jr., Brad Keselowski, Chase Elliott, William Byron, Byron, Tyler Reddick, Cole Custer. He has made such an impact on the sport. 15 consecutive Most Popular Driver Awards. That's a record. Maybe Chase Elliott will break it one day. I don't know. But nevertheless, he won two Daytona 500s when his father only won one. He swept Pocono, which was something that his father never did. And that's the amazing thing is he did accomplish some things out on that racetrack that his dad didn't. And I what a special moment that was as he was recording the Dale Jr. download. And it was announced on NBCSN that he was going into the 2021 NASCAR Hall of Fame to have his wife Amy there, his daughter Isla, his older sister Kelly. And without a doubt, what would have made the moment even sweeter would have been if Dale Earnhardt Sr. and his mother Brenda were there. And I know Dale Jarrett, his colleague at NBC, and and Dale Jarrett is someone that Dale Earnhardt Jr. has looked up to a lot ever since he lost his father in 2001. And Dale Jarrett said to him, heaven is a special place and undoubtedly your dad is out smiling everyone right now and so proud of you. And all of the amazing stories that was on the Dale Jr. download, Mike Helton, former president of NASCAR, when he did a Zoom call with Dale Earnhardt Jr., he told him as well, you know, I'm proud of you. And undoubtedly your father and your mother, Brenda, would have been proud of you as well. And Winston Kelly, who runs the NASCAR Hall of Fame, the amazing story that he had in 2016 when they had to postpone the ceremony because of snow. And Dale Earnhardt Jr. texted him and said, Hey, when can I come by and sign autographs for the fans? I don't want to let you down. I don't want to let the fans down. I want the Hall of Fame to succeed. And sure enough, Dale Earnhardt Jr., he came a week later. He signed autographs. He even brought Chase Elliott. Justin Allgaier, Elliot Sadler, some of the junior motorsports drivers. So a class act on and off the racetrack. I mean, this is a guy that has has his own foundation, the Dale Jr. Foundation. He's met with close to 300 Make-A-Wish kids. He helped build Victory Junction Gang Camp in the early 2000s. So for everyone saying that he's not worthy of going in on the first ballot, think again. And the amazing thing is him and his father, Dale Earnhardt Sr., are going to become the sixth father-son combination to go into the Hall of Fame. Bill France Sr. and Jr., the founder of NASCAR, was Big Bill, and Little Bill helped take the sport from regional prominence to national to international prominence. Lee and Richard Petty, what else can you say? Bobby and Davey Allison, Ned and Dale Jarrett, Buck and Buddy Baker, and now Dale Earnhardt Sr. and Jr., the sixth father-son combination to go into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. And honestly, you could make a case for a seventh because I've always felt like Ralph Earnhardt is worthy of being in the NASCAR Hall of Fame as well. He won the 1956 NASCAR Late Model Sportsman Championship, won hundreds and hundreds of races up and down the Carolinas in the 50s, 60s, and early 70s before his... Unfortunate passing in 1973. So, hey, hopefully one day they could get Ralph Earnhardt in there as well. Mike Stefanik. Boy, what an awesome race car driver he was. Seven championships in the Modified Series. 74 feature wins. And also two more championships in the Bush North Series. So a total of nine NASCAR championships, tying himself with the late Richie Evans. The sad thing about all of this, though, is, unfortunately, Mike Stefanic will not be able to witness that moment of going into the Hall of Fame this coming January because, sadly, we lost him in a plane crash this past September, September fifteenth. Nevertheless, though, what an incredible moment that'll be for his widow Julie and their entire family. An eighty-seven-year-old red farmer, this guy's still racist today, folks. He was racing last night at the Talladega Dirt Track. Over 700 feature wins. Kyle Petty said on the Hall of Fame show he has had a NASCAR license since 1953. 1953. The, uh, NASCAR has been around since 1949. And he was one of the few that was able to race against Ralph Earnhardt. Matter of fact, when Ralph won the late Model Sportsman Championship in 1956, Red won the Modified Championship for that year. So I think this is an awesome class. It's Like I said, it's very diverse, but I love it. So the all-star race will still be held on Wednesday night, July 15th. But for the first time since 1986, it will not be in Charlotte. It's going to be in Bristol. Bristol, how cool is that? The all-star race at Bristol Motor Speedway, Wednesday night, A million dollars on the line, a short track, under the lights. Oh, my God. I cannot wait. Now, the reason that it was moved to Bristol is because, I mean, let's face it. Like I've said, the racing at Charlotte the last few years has been pretty dull. But that has nothing to do with it. The reason that this race is being moved from Charlotte to Bristol is because the amount of confirmed cases of COVID-19 is starting to spike again in North Carolina. As a matter of fact, there were two two members of Stuart Haas Racing that tested positive for the coronavirus. As a matter of fact, there was another crew member from Team Penske that tested positive for the coronavirus. The one good thing is none of these guys go to the racetrack. They just work at the shop. So nevertheless, let's all hope that they can make a full recovery and get back to the shop soon. Dale Jarrett, as a matter of fact, he said on the hall of fame show this past Tuesday, he was diagnosed with the coronavirus. So, It's starting to spike up again in the Carolinas, Florida, Texas, Arizona. So these are the reasons why the All-Star Race was moved to Bristol Motor Speedway. And really more than anything, like I said, the All-Star Race the past five years has been incredibly dull. There's no other way around it. Uh, Two years ago especially when they had the restrictor plate package. I mean, come on, that was a joke. So I think just like the NBA does, you know, how they have their all-star game one year in new york then another year it might be in charlotte i would love to see nascar rotate the all-star race and also the championship race just like the nfl does with the super bowl instead of going to the same racetrack year after year after year going to miami for 17 years in a row and who knows how many years that they're going to be going to phoenix i mean phoenix is a fun racetrack they had a great race there in march But let's hope that it's going to be another great race in November, not a snooze fest like last November's race was. So this past Sunday night at Homestead Miami Speedway, I told you that Denny Hamlin was going to win. Called it. The 40th win of his career tying him with NASCAR Hall of Famer Mark Martin. And there is a reason why I bring up Mark Martin, because there are so many NASCAR fans that say Mark Martin, without a doubt, is the greatest driver that never won a championship. And while I somewhat agree with it, I mainly disagree with it, my vote for the greatest driver without a NASCAR championship, Denny Hamlin, a three-time Daytona 500 champion, five wins at Martinsville Speedway, tons of wins at Richmond, Bristol. He's a great short track driver. Five wins at Pocono. He's won the All-Star Race, has won many races at Daytona, not just the 500, but the Clash and the Duels. Denny is such a versatile driver. a matter of fact, I remember back in 2005, his rookie year in the Bush Series, Dale Earnhardt Jr. said right then and there, Denny Hamlin is the most naturally talented driver that I've seen over the past few years. So is this the year that Denny finally gets that championship? Only time will tell. But nevertheless, like I said, He made a statement about that 11 team, about how strong they are. Their first race back with Chris Gabehart, they drew the pole, won all three stages. That's the only time that has happened so far this year. Led 177 laps and had some excellent battles with Chase Elliott and Ryan Blaney. And the first driver to win three races on the 2020 season. So I don't know if I would consider Denny Hamlin the favorite just yet. I know Kevin Harvick and Rodney Childers, the four-team, I know that they've hit a little bit of a skid ever since they won Atlanta. You know, the alternator issue at Martinsville, and then this past Sunday night at Miami getting damage on pit road, finishing a season-worst 26th. Nevertheless, do not count out the four-team. At this point, today is race 13. So 13 out of 26. So we're halfway through the regular season after today. As of right now, my championship four, in no particular order, but these are the drivers that I could totally see making it to Phoenix with a shot at the championship. Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Brad Keselowski, and Chase Elliott. As of right now, that's my final four. But nevertheless, Sunday night was a great race. Probably the most frustrating thing about it was how many times it was delayed. So Jimmy Johnson, not the race car driver, the coach, (laughs) Jimmy Johnson... From NFL on Fox, 2020, Pro Football Hall of Fame inductee, he gave the command to start engines. I mean, how fitting, winning two championships with the Miami Hurricanes, and he lives down there and, you know, ended his career with the Miami Dolphins. So Jimmy gives the command. And wouldn't you know it, just moments after giving the command, it starts raining. So, okay, pop-up shower, South Florida, whatever. This shouldn't take long, right? No. As soon as they get back into their race cars, there's lightning. So that's another 30 minutes. So they finally get going about a little before five o'clock, five laps in caution comes out lightning. It it just, it just wouldn't end, you know, and and then they finally got the race resumed again. And when you know about, I would say 30 laps after that lightning again. And I, I will say I was at Pocono raceway in 2012 when lightning struck And there were 10 fans that were hit, and one ended up dying, unfortunately. So I do applaud NASCAR for having that lightning policy, the the 30-minute clock, to make sure that there are no traces of lightning within an 8-mile radius. So great job by NASCAR having that policy. So talking about Chase Elliott and Ryan Blaney, once again, the young guns having one hell of a battle all night long for the lead. I mean, there was there was one time coming off a of turn two when Ryan Blaney got loose under Chase Elliott, and it looked like he probably could have taken both of them out. But nevertheless, though, Chase Elliott finishing second, Ryan Blaney finishing third. And wouldn't you know it that these two were the winners at Talladega Super Speedway last year. Chase Elliott won this race, the Geico 500, and Ryan Blaney won there in October. So once again... I am absolutely impressed with the job that Chase Elliott and Alan Gustafson are doing and Ryan Blaney and Todd Gordon. I feel like there were multiple, multiple wins coming both their ways. But undoubtedly, the guy that stole the show Sunday night, Tyler Reddick, a career best fourth in the number eight Richard Childress Racing Chevrolet. Incredible. Once again, this kid is an absolute wheel man to have started 24th and within 20 laps he was already running in the top 5. He is an absolute natural when it comes to Homestead Miami Speedway, running right up against the very wall, getting all the way up to second. And there were several times throughout that race I thought to myself like, wow, like could Tyler Reddick possibly end up winning this race? And here we are, you know, 12 races in, already as many top 5s as Daniel Hemric had in that car last year and already more top 10s than he had. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like Daniel Heimer. He, he's a great guy and everything. But Tyler Reddick has just impressed the hell out of me in that equipment. And the, the crazy thing is, he almost quit on the last lap. <laughs> As they were coming to get the white flag, his spotter, Derek Nealan told him, he's like, you know, go and get Blaney if you can't get him. Great job nonetheless. And Tyler comes across the radio and he says, sorry, guys. That was it. That's all I could give. And... Randall Burnett, his crew chief, said, Go! Go! It's the last lap! So, that could have been a major, major brain fart on Tyler Reddick's part. (laughs) Nevertheless, though, outstanding job once again by this kid. Kyle Busch, I do not know what the hell is going on with the 18 team. He finished sixth, but boy, the way that he... I was going to say the things that he said on the radio Sunday night, you would have sworn they finished 26th. He said multiple times over the radio, he said, this car sucks. Well, I can't say the exact words, but you get it. (laughs) Saying that the car sucked, that he felt like an anchor on a boat, saying, you know, it doesn't matter where I run, people are past me on the outside or the inside. I honestly do not know what is going on with the 18 team this year because, Like I said, Denny Hamlin has more wins than anyone this year with three. Martin Trex Jr., he got off to a slow start before the pandemic, but now him and James Small, they are running on consistency and momentum right now. I know he just barely finished outside of the top ten on Sunday night, but nevertheless, they're definitely heading in the right direction. So the two weakest teams out of Joe Gibbs right now, You know, Eric Jones, he has all the pressure to perform. It's a contract year, and he was going to get a top 10 finish before he got into the wall late and had a pit for a flat tire. But once again, I am completely puzzled with the 18 team, barely finishing in the top 10, not leaving any laps whatsoever. I honestly don't know what the problem is. And today, like I said, if there's one week to not have Kyle Busch on your fantasy roster, it is today at Talladega Super Speedway, because for whatever reason, he always seems to get caught up in the big one there. But looking at the top 10, much, much needed top 10 finishes for Christopher Bell and William Byron. Now, Christopher Bell, going into this year, a lot of people penciled him in as the favorite to win rookie of the year, either him or Cole Custer. And I'll tell you, Cole Custer is struggling mightily with that 41 car. But Christopher Bell got off to a rough, rough start. I mean, he was running second in the Daytona 500. Granted, it's Daytona. But for his first time ever in a cup car, he was looking great until he got wrecked. Other than that, though, he spun out at Las Vegas, struggled badly. at Blue engine at California, struggled at Phoenix, really did not have any good finishes come his way until NASCAR resumed. And he finished 11th in the Wednesday night race at Darlington. Got his first top 10 finish in the Coca-Cola 600 in ninth. And Christopher Bell, he is a natural at Miami, just like Tyler Reddick is. That dirt background that both of them have running right up against the wall to finish eighth. He definitely needed that, and he is heading in the right direction. And William Byron, unreal. Another top 10 finish, finishing ninth. He got up to about fourth at one point. All the Hendrick cars were looking good before it got dark out. I mean, Chase Elliott was the class of the field, but then Alex Bowman. Alex Bowman was running in the top five and then just dropped like a rock that, that last run of the race, all the way back to 19th. But William Byron, he needed another top 10 finish. Him and Chad Canouse, they got it. Now, today, Talladega's Talladega. He could get his first win. He could end up getting wrecked. You never know. But I'll tell you what. These next few weeks, going to Pocono, going to Indianapolis, make sure you have William Byron on your fantasy roster because he is so incredible at both those tracks. He won in the truck series at Pocono in 2016, won the Xfinity race at Indianapolis in 2017. So whatever happens say happens, but he's going to have some strong, strong chances these next three races for that first win. So Brad Keselowski, Jeremy Bollins, and the two crew once again, another top ten finish, seven straight. They finished 10th. But honestly, that car was not a 10th place car. They drew third. They got up to second before the the first batch of lightning came. But as the race went on and it got dark out, the car just kept getting tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. And Brad fell all the way back to 17th at one point. So once again, outstanding job by him and that two crew, Jeremy Bollins, all of them, to finish 10th with a car that realistically was about a 16th place car most of the night. But since we're talking about Team Penske, we have to talk about, once again, Joey Logano out on the racetrack. So, as we all remember, at Bristol Motor Speedway, with three laps to go, him and Chase Elliott, side by side for the win, Chase washed up into him. They both hit the wall. Brad Keselowski scooted on by to win the race. And sure enough, after the race was over, and I don't blame Joey Logano. I would have been the same way. But sure enough, after the race was over, he gets out of the car. Walks over to Chase Elliott and starts mouth off to him. So, this past Sunday, going off into turn one, Joey Logano, being Joey Logano, decides to block Ryan Newman of all people. Um, Bad choice, man. <laughs> bad, bad choice trying to block Ryan Newman of all people who will not give you an inch out on that racetrack. And the thing with Joey Logano... When I look at his driving style and I look at his career, he's had a phenomenal career. The 2018 champion, 2015 Daytona 500 champion, 25 wins to his name. But let's face it, when it comes to his driving style, he is reckless. And for him to call someone out when he gets taken out, boy, if that's the kettle call in the pot block, I don't know what is, Seriously. So he cut off Ryan Newman, and Ryan Newman thought, all right, I've had enough of your crap. You've driven like this your whole career. I'm going to send you into the wall. So sure enough, Joey Logano hit the wall with the right-rear quarter panel. Paul Wolfe and the 22 crew, they went and fixed it. Joey goes back out on the racetrack, and he's going to get lapped once again. And who comes up to lap him? None other than Chase Elliott. And Chase Elliott wanted to run the top. Joey Logano runs the top. Chase Elliott wanted to run the bottom. Joey Logano would go down the bottom. And he held him up so much that he made sure Denny Hamlin was able to scoot on by. Sure enough, he got out of Denny's way. One, two, three. But nevertheless, Joey Logano, this is why a lot of fans, drivers, and crew members can't stand him, honestly. That's just stupid right then and there to be deliberately holding someone up. Yeah, I know. Chase Elliott wrecked him at Bristol and potentially cost him a win. I get that. But you're multiple laps down. Your car is damaged. Get the hell out of the way. So, I don't know. I don't know what else to tell you. And sure enough, we're going to Talladega. And when we were at Daytona back in February, let's see here. uh, Joey Logano tried blocking Kyle Busch. He was going 10 miles an hour faster than him. Took out himself. Took out Kyle Busch. His teammate, Brad Keselowski, who had the best car that day. And sure enough, Brad Chewed him out pretty good when he was being interviewed at the infield care center. And that was really when you started to wonder if Brad Keselowski was going to leave at the end of 2020, because you could tell that there was tension in team Penske with him and Joey. And I think it was Bob Pockress, I forget who, but he was asked, are you going to talk to your teammate about it? And Brad made the comment. He said, I'm going to Disney world, with my family, then I'll settle it with Joey. So then let's fast forward eight days later, the Daytona 500, Brad Keselowski, the best car he has ever had in the Daytona 500, led over 30 laps. They're going down the back straightaway, and Joey Logano pushes Eric Almirola into Brad Keselowski, turns him into the wall, and the next thing you know, all hell breaks loose. Brad Keselowski, Eric Almirola, Alex Bowman, Austin Dillon, Justin Haley, Jimmy Johnson, and his final Daytona 500. Tons and tons of tons of good race cars that were torn up because, once again, Joey Logano and his reckless driving style. So I don't think anything is going to happen today between Joey Logano and Chase Elliott. I mean, we're going close to 200 miles an hour at Talladega, okay? But, hey, we're going to Bristol in a couple weeks for that All-Star race. So I think we could definitely see another chapter between those two. So, today's race, the Geico 500 at Talladega Super Speedway, 3 o'clock on Fox, Jeff Gordon, Mike Joy with the call, 188 laps. First stage ends lap 60, second stage lap 120. Folks, after the last few shows, here's the best news of all for today. 0% chance of rain. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. It's gonna be hot and it's gonna be humid. It's gonna be in the 90s at Talladega. But nevertheless, it just feels great not having to worry about the rain for once. So, Chase Elliott won this race last year, and Ryan Blaney won in October. Without a doubt, I would have to consider two two of them definitely the favorites for today. Martin Trix Jr. drew the pole, but has failed to finish 10 times at Talladega due to crashes. And that's the other big factor for today is the big one. Now, for anyone that is relatively new to NASCAR and is getting into it, you're wondering, well, what's the big one? So the big one at Daytona and Talladega is when a wreck that takes out multiple, multiple cars, sometimes over half the field. Now, with Daytona and Talladega in the 80s, they were averaging 210 miles an hour around Daytona and 212 around Talladega. Those were the records that Bill Elliott set in 1987. And the May race of Talladega that year, Bobby Allison blew a right rear tire, and his car careened into the catch fence, and luckily nobody was killed. Bobby wasn't killed, no fans were killed, several were injured, but from that point on, NASCAR decided that they were going to put a restrictor plate on the cars for Daytona and Talladega, and a restrictor plate it basically sucks horsepower out of the engine. It makes the cars go slower. So you don't have situations like Bobby Allison where you go sailing into the catch fence. Now, over the years, you know, there have been people that have flipped Daytona Talladega. The roof flaps were invented by Jack Roush in 1994. But still, all it takes at Talladega is just one little mistake. Just one little mistake by any driver, mainly Joey Logano, but just one mistake by someone could take out half the field, two-thirds of the field. So it's going to happen at some point today. It's not a matter of if, it's only when. It could be in the first stage, second stage, third stage. Hell, maybe all three in overtime, like Dale Kivler said with the Daytona 500. So it's hard to say, but it's definitely going to happen at some point. My theory, my guess is, I think what's going to happen today, I think you're going to see... Guys run single file by the wall as long as possible, just trying to click off as many laps as they can. And I would say probably around that range, about 20 laps to go, people are going to start making moves, start getting antsy. The next thing you know, someone's going to make that wrong move and all hell's going to break loose. So Brad Keselowski leads all drivers at Talladega with five wins, just one behind his mentor, Dale Earnhardt Jr. And this week on Twitter... Talladega Super Speedway, they were doing a Q&A session with Brad Keselowski. And they said, you know, if you have any questions for Brad, just send in the, the hashtag AskBradK. So I figured with his success at Talladega and with Dale Jr. going into the Hall of Fame, I tweeted at, to Brad, I said, what is the best lesson that Dale Jr. taught you when it came to Talladega and Daytona? And sure enough, he replied. And Brad said that Dale Jr., taught him the art of side drafting. So side drafting is when you are up alongside another driver and you act like you are going to drive right into either their left rear quarter panel or right recorder quarter panel depending on uh, if you're on the inside or outside of another driver. But you don't you don't hit them in the left rear quarter panel at that moment when you think you're going to, then you either Dart to the inside or dart to the outside. And that speed and that momentum, it carries you past them. And so Brad said, without Dale Jr., it would have been a much longer road. So Brad has five wins at Talladega. Like I said, just one behind Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Jeff Gordon. And, of course, the all-time winner at Talladega Super Speedway, none other than Dale Earnhardt Sr., ten wins at Talladega. Could Brad potentially break that one day? Maybe. But Brad, his luck at Talladega the past two years, it's been pretty bad. He's been caught up in the big one, two out of four races. And the fall race in 2018, Paul Wolfe and him ran out of gas with just two laps to go or running fifth. And that cost them a spot in the round of eight. So as far as Brad Keselowski is concerned today, I do feel like he will be up front. He'll lead laps. I can see him winning a stage or two. But that top 10 streak is definitely going to be in jeopardy today. Now, as far as dark horses go, this is the great thing about Daytona and Talladega. Daytona and Talladega, with the restrictor plates, you usually have guys that normally don't run up front have a shot for the win at Talladega or Daytona. A good example of that is Michael McDowell. Michael McDowell has tons of top fives and top tens at Talladega and Daytona. Matter of fact, he got top fives at Talladega last year in the fall race and in the Daytona 500. Look out for him. Look out for his teammate, John Hunter Nemechek. John Hunter finished 11th in the Daytona 500 earlier this year. Look at Ryan Priest. Ryan Priest was third in this race last year, was running second with two laps to go in the Daytona 500 when Ross Chastain wrecked him. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Ricky is incredible when it comes to Talladega and Daytona. Sure enough, those are the only two victories of his career so far. So definitely have Stenhouse in your lineup today. Now, Eric Almirola, you can't really consider him a dark horse, I mean, he drives for Stuart Haas Racing. He won at Talladega two years ago. But here's an amazing stat, guys. The record for consecutive top 10 finishes at Talladega Super Speedway. Dale Earnhardt Jr., eight in a row. How ironic. Number eight. From April of 2001 to his win there in October of 2004. Eric has seven in a row at Talladega. The last time he finished outside the top 10 at Talladega was May of 2016 when he was taken out in the big one. So Eric Amarola, that's another one you definitely need to have in your lineup for today. I also look at the Dillon brothers. The the Dillons have been great at Talladega over the years. Austin has tons of top 10 finishes there. Ty Dillon won one of the stages last year, has an ARCA win there in 2011. So those are other good fantasy possibilities as well. So without further ado... My pick to go to Victory Lane today in the Geico 500 at Talladega Super Speedway. I've been praising him for weeks. I've been saying how close he's been getting to Victory Lane. Today, my pick to go to Victory Lane is Ryan Blaney. He won at Talladega in October. Todd Gordon won there three times with Joey Logano. Tons of momentum on their side. Third at Charlotte. Fourth at Atlanta. Second at Martinsville. Third at Miami. They are due to go to victory lane. So that's going to do it for episode five of Jake's Take. Appreciate all of you listening once again. Happy Father's Day. Enjoy the race. I sure will. Y'all take it easy.